We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fellas, listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to How did you do it to me, Jim? After all we suffered... I've changed my identity so many times, I don't even know who I am anymore. How could you turn on me when we were so close to our goal? The FBI was watching you. You tried to kill me. You've misplaced your loyalty, Senator. You've sold out America. Patriotism does not have a four-year shelf life. Unfortunately, politicians do. What in the world are you going to do with that? Thomas Jefferson once shot a man on the White House lawn for treason. Now hold the phone here. Thomas to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And folks, we have a celebration on our hands. Woohoo, indeed! It is the fifth birthday of the Rockpile Report Podcast. Right, our birthday was on Saturday. Can you believe it, Chris? <sighs> Five years of Bill's podcast, over 127,000 downloads. Five years ago, we started in my bachelor in the kitchen of my bachelor pad apartment. Yeah, that horrible apartment in Depew. I hated that place. We've since graduated to a slightly less depressing two-bedroom apartment. Exactly. Podcasting from your kitchen. Exactly. (laughs) From the bottom to the top, now we're here. Yeah, but if you go back to our early episodes, we didn't drink that first season. We might have had one or two, but it isn't as bad as it is now. Well, look, 
because we were too busy trying to impress everybody with how smart we were. Look where that got us. Nowhere. <laughs> oh, man. Five years. Five years of Bill's podcast and Chris. We've been a... This podcast has done so many things for me personally. Scratched a lot of different itches and just allowed me to check off a wide variety of bucket list opportunities. And almost any Bills fan out there with Jerry. Broadcasting with legends like Thurman Thomas, uh, Kyle Williams, and Fred Smurlitz. Getting to stand in the middle of training camp as a credentialed member of the media on the 40-yard line at uh, New Era Field. Getting to collaborate with some of the best podcasters and analysts around. I mean, Chris, we get to talk to Brett Coleman. Yeah. Just randomly. Why? Because we do a podcast. He's one of the smartest football people I've ever talked to. Yep. Uh, and then a lot of you might not know this, but Eric Turner, CoverOne.net, founder, first ever spot on podcasting or radio was on this show. It's crazy. And I mean, and ultimately, the big takeaway for me, Chris, has been getting to drink with your friend every single week discussing, trying to analyze, lamenting, and celebrating everything from Bill's football to just our lives in general. Yeah, I'm surprised that this hasn't ruined our friendship. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you this. If this podcast hasn't ruined our friendship, I don't think anything can at this point. Maybe your ex-girlfriend or my ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Chris, shout out to them for getting us together. Cheers. Cheers. So for those of, for those of you new... For listeners who recently joined us, thank you. We never do this, but make sure you leave a review on iTunes, Apple, and Spotify so that more Bills fans out there can find out what you guys already know. That the Rock Power Report podcast is your source for barroom Bills analysis, brought to you by people only slightly smarter than the people you already know, but far more entertaining. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> and so, Chris... You know, a lot of our listeners are probably wondering, I wonder, you know, usually the intro of the show ties into something that they're going to talk about. <sighs> Man, yeah. I don't even know if I'm ready for this. I'm nervous. That, hey, it's big news. It's like... Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. <laughs> Chris? It finally happened. The Rock Pal Report podcast has indeed sold out. Yes, we have sold out America. We have gone corporate. Who's this man? Guys, before you all light torches and turn into the angry, rambling mob from South Park, please allow me to crack another beer and explain. Chris, I figure the only way I can do this is with a beer in each hand. Yeah, you got a two-fist for this. <sighs> We've long touted the fact that we're independent. We don't answer to anybody, Chris. <laughs> no, we have not. It's one of the things that I love about what we do. It served us well, and it continues to do so, because I'm a believer in the idea that most of the time, if you start taking a check for something, you know, most people look at that and they say, oh, yeah, it's, it's, you're being paid, you've earned something. I've always looked at it as the second you start taking a check from someone, you owe them something, especially with what we do here. 
Yeah, it's well we've uh we've never we've never been the ones to reach out to be on a network. No. Blue Wire reached out to us and you know, we wanted to listen. Well, and so that's it, guys. And I mean, I talk about owing things. That's I don't believe in carrying that kind of debt around, especially over something that I do that I love, that I care about. And it was a hard decision. It really was. I mean, in the five years we've been doing this, Chris alluded to it. We've been approached by a number of organizations and outlets about paid partnership opportunities. Some of them were small. Some of them were some of the larger sports media conglomerates in the country. Chris, I'm sure I'm sure our listeners can... Yeah, it. you can figure it out. You can kind of figure out who we're talking about. And all of them offered various pros and cons to what they were bringing to the table for us. I mean, some of them wanted too much control over our format and our content. The second you tell me to not work blue, I'm sorry, you've lost me. I'm no longer interested. Yes. Not even because I want to, but I want to know I have the option. Some outlets just wanted too much control over our creative direction and kind of wanted to dictate who we collaborate with both in podcasting and on social media, which also, Chris, I'm a person you've watched cut his nose off to spite his face more times than you can count. Yes. I, I, don't, I don't take well to that. Some of them just offered too little in the way of support or assistance or any kind of guidance. And some of them you just, I couldn't philosophically align myself with. Like one of the biggest conglomerates that recently, has recently started buying up podcasts, both locally here and across the country over its various websites and platforms. I'm sure you've heard of them. I, Chris, in my opinion, those people, like that group of people specifically, have done an incredible amount of damage to what the professional profession of journalism and sports writing was intended to be. And in that way, I, I could never justify signing up and agreeing to work with people like that. And also, there was just too many people looking to make us employees rather than partners. And for those reasons, over the course of the five years we've been doing this, we really couldn't find anyone that we felt was worth the time, energy, or the changes to our show that a, a relationship would require. Chris, I'm, let's face it, I, I don't take kindly to direction first and foremost. No, you don't. No, you know this from yeah. being my friend. Yeah, I do know this. But, I mean, they reached out to us and... You know, we could all we could do is just listen to what they have to say. Well, and that's it. And and over the course of the last few years, we've taken every meeting that people have approached us with, never actively seeking this sort of thing out. And after years of vetting these types of groups, I think we finally met one that we couldn't say no to. So with that, I'm happy to say that the Rockpell Report podcast is in the final stages of firming up an agreement, and that Chris, as of July 1st, will be the newest members of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. You can Google them if you want to, but here's what appealed to us. First of all, they're a startup company for podcast creation and advertising that was built by people who have worked in sports radio, got sick of the bullshit associated with it, and all of the... Chris, you worked in radio. Yes. How it's very cutthroat. And how much just nonsense is it? Nepotism. Not, stuff that... Whoa. It's, a, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> and so these people decided, hey, I'm done doing this professionally. I'm going to start podcasting myself. And then somewhere along the way, decided that they wanted to be something bigger. They've grown rapidly beyond a solid business plan, a bunch of successful rounds of investment and advertisement, and they're still growing. And Chris, I think the most important thing is they're willing to let us stay in the driver's seat. Yeah. We, we control everything from the execution of our ads, ownership of our intellectual property, the way we podcast. And to quote Tyler Chin, their head of operations, 
We all have our own shows and know the value of cultivating an audience. We'd be stupid to ever rock the boat on that front, both for ourselves and for our partners, just to pursue a few dollars. In that way, Chris, I couldn't argue with them. Yeah, they. I like what they had to say. And, you know, for me, having control of our content was probably the biggest thing. For you, that was the big one. For me, it was seeing some sort of direction. What are we doing? What is this? Because, Chris, not for nothing, this is a hobby for us. What is it that you're going to do that makes me want to say, hey, those are people I want to work with? What I've noticed about Blue Wire as a company is that smart people seem to pick up on what it is they're accomplishing over there and what their goal is. Baron Davis, former NBA star, he recently joined as both an investor and as a podcaster. And he said he's buying in because he sees the value to what it is they're bringing to podcasting and just to their approach and the scope of their entire operation. Richard Sherman is in talks with them to carry his podcast once he retires and gets into broadcasting. Amazon has recently <laughs> talked to about potentially acquiring the company. I think working in some kind of uh, partnership, kind of where like if you have an Alexa and you ask the Alexa, hey, Alexa, give me some information on this weekend's Bills-Dolphins game. And Alexa would say, well, here's a podcast, The Rock Pile Report, with information on this weekend's game. Smart people and growing companies, hungry companies, are paying attention to what this group is doing. And Chris, there's, the, the thing I like is they're a startup. They're a startup. Yeah. Let's call it what it is. They've been around like two years, maybe less. That's... You can break new ground with a group like that. You're not just jumping on an established bandwagon and hoping that it leads to you getting a few shekels here and there. To me, it's the adventure in that. I mean, I think that you and I, over five years, Chris, doing this podcast, we've kind of settled into a rhythm. Yeah. Well, I think it took a couple of years to get to that rhythm, but I think we've settled on it for now. I think that this is going to push you and I to get more creative, to break fresh ground in terms of how we conduct a show. The way, we, the way we strategize, the way we cultivate and bring information to our listeners, the types of shows we do. It's got me, I'm not going to lie, Chris, I'm a little nervous. Nervous like a kid the day before his first day of high school. You know, you're not really sure what to expect. You know what you're going into is a big step up from what you've been doing, but you're excited about it. I mean, right. at least I was. I don't know about you. Yeah, there's uh, more hallways. Uh, this blonde hair didn't go away from the summer. Uh, I don't know anyone. All my friends are at Milton. This is going to be awkward. Chris, I'm nervous like you writing and deleting 50 text messages before actually asking a girl how her day is going. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, and it's changes like that that are going to keep us and our show not only different, learning, growing, but it keeps us from getting stagnant. I mean, Chris, that's the end right there if you stagnate you die and ultimately if we're gonna make I mean, if we're gonna roll the dice on a partnership like this why not do it with a group that not only understands what it's like to sit in our seats but a group where we can get in on the ground floor like i said you're not going to some bloated corporate entity that just looks at you as a piece of what it's doing you're not a, you're, you're not a partner they, 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 don't, they don't even know who you are yeah so ultimately you guys don't care about any of that <laughs> Here we are trying to justify it, Chris, but ultimately, our listeners care about what it means for them. The good news is, not a whole lot changes on you for you guys. I mean, there's obviously going to be some changes. They'll happen. 
but a lot of them are going to be great for you guys because you're going to be getting fresh concepts and fresh execution of things that we already do well, or at least well enough that you keep showing up for it every week. I'm, I'm looking forward to that, Chris, to just being able to approach things differently, to, to try some new concept shows, to try varying our content a little bit. Yeah. As a producer, that has to have you pretty excited. Yeah, it does. I mean, I've already done some stuff on the production end of things for stuff we'll be doing this season. But, you know, I, the only thing I, w I will say is if you guys listen to the show via the Podbean app or on the Podbean website, probably... No, you'll still be able to get it on the Podbean app. And I don't know about that. I'm positive because it catches everything. It's a podcatching app. It just has features that some of the other ones don't. Aside from the content and the execution and stuff that we're going to be able to do... We're also going to be able to do more. We're going, to be we're going to be able to introduce video content. We're going to be able to flesh out our recording studio with new equipment and stuff for our listeners, like Rockpile Report swag. We're going to be able to do giveaways. We're going to be able to advertise things on a more consistent basis. Chris, I mean, this is... <laughs> it's going to help us take a giant step forward in this. Allegedly. And it's going to be fun. Well, I think so, because it's going to be fun. It's good. If nothing else, Chris, comes out of this... It's going to be us trying. I can't picture you doing a live read. I can't wait for it. It's going to be hysterical. Yeah, I can do a live read. <laughs> what, with the personality of a dead moth you have yeah, over there? I do. Oh, my God. It's going to be fantastic. I mean, ultimately, Chris, if you're not evolving, you're just waiting to die. And so for as much as your sense of style might slowly be killing me, they're not putting me or this podcast in the ground anytime soon. And so with that said, I'm really excited about joining Blue Wire. Chris learning how podcast advertisement goes again they've given us full control over this it's going to be a lot of fun i think it's going to be beneficial to everybody both us and our listeners and so with that folks on a night of firsts i'm happy to bring out another first the first time this guest has ever sat down for a podcast with us mr clayton garrett from the cold front report sir how are you doing tonight i'm good i'm good man i hope you're doing well as well no i'm i'm fantastic look at me I got whiskey in one hand, I got a beer in the other. What's that to love about this? We're talking football here. So, just the first time you've ever sat down in studio with us, first time you've ever been on the podcast, you started out as a listener of the Rock Pile Report. Oh, yeah. How well, long have you been listening to the podcast? Oh, well, you're talking back to the gas station days. <laughs> so, it's probably, probably two or three years now. I love it. I love it. And now you guys over at the Cold Front Report have really kind of blown up with your own brand of coverage. Mm -hmm. It's it's amazing what you guys have managed to do in such a small period of time. You you guys have all kinds of content. I've done your show before. There's a lot of video content, which is unique, I think. I mean, Chris, the show that I did with them with the different with the OBS overlays mm -hmm. and everybody kind of it's almost like around the horn, except mm -hmm. not as annoying because someone's not no one has a buzzer. It was awesome. I had a great time with it. Now, you work over there with uh, Fred Kilmartin and JT, right? Yep. Yeah, it's a great time. I mean, I've been working with them for, boy, probably probably about 14 months now. And, you know, the array of things that I've learned as far as the media aspect, as far as not even just podcasting, when it comes to graphic design, when it comes to marketing strategic strategies on all sorts of social media platforms, you know, a lot of things go into it. You know, you don't grow overnight and just by sitting on your hands and putting out a tweet here and there, putting out a post here and there. You actually have to sit down at your computer or on your phone for a handful of hours each day 
and then the accumulative amount of hours in a week in order to have that kind of success, in order to have that kind of growth. And it's really been a lot of fun. No, I do. Content I'm, creation in and of itself is great. I'm still yeah. waiting on Drew to practice talking into the microphone from a reasonable <laughs> distance. Five years running, still not doing it. <laughs> no, it's been great. And it's been great to get to collaborate with you guys. I mean, we saw you guys at Batavia Downs after the Legends and Stars event. We got to hang out. It was a great night. We recently did the draft show. The draft show over at Rock Sports Network with you. And that was kind of the first time, like, it really jumped out to me. Like, wow, this guy knows his shit. He knows, he at least knows more than me. As I'm just drunk yelling about AJ Epinesa. Like, I just went off the deep end. And you rallied and held that show together. I mean, you, yeah, you, you were pretty pissed off. I think, I think that's an understatement, to be honest. You had a whole green pepper the size of your head. And you, were, you weren't happy with the pick. But... I mean, the stuff like that, the draft show, doing stuff at Batavia Downs, collaborating with you guys, that's, that's kind of the fun part of it. I mean, there's so many people that I've gotten a chance to work with and people that I've gotten to meet through just, you know, hitting up Jeremy one day saying, hey, what are you guys trying to do with this? And now it's just blown up and it's turned into a whole thing where I have a relationship with you guys. I've hit, I mean, you and I have been talking back and forth about yep. getting one of us on the pod for a year now. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, it's been a great time. Oh, it's been great, and I'm glad to see that you guys are getting some of the shine now that you deserve because you guys work really hard at what you do. Now, guys, they bring out some really unique content. I mean, you guys were there for the uh, Jordan Poyer softball game. Mm -hmm. You guys were providing on-field coverage from it. Mm -hmm. You guys are constantly tweeting out graphics with all kinds of useful information, interesting stuff, stats, just breaking news. It's a lot of fun following you guys and watching your brand expand the way that it has. Where can everybody find your work? And the work for Cold Front Report. Well, my personal Twitter account is at CFR Clayton, and my, that's also the same handle for my Instagram account. And for uh, Cold Front Report on Facebook, you can find us at Cold Front Report colon Buffalo Bills News, and on Instagram it'll be Cold Front Report underscore Bills News, and on Twitter it'll be at Cold Front Report. Man, it, it, Chris, it is it's crazy to think how many people have started making great Bills content. Remember when we started? Yeah, we were it, awful. It was, it was a wa- well. Not only were we terrible, but it was a wasteland out there for Bills fans. I mean, what there was, was tumbleweeds. Th- right? There was three podcasts. Yeah, there was like two or three podcasts. There was three of us. Yeah. Now, now the- you look at it. If you can't find a brand, a type of Bills content that tickles your own fancy, then you're just not looking hard enough. You just don't yeah. like talk radio. That's or what it is. you have dial-up internet. That's the only. Those are the only <laughs> two things I can think. Or a Spectrum. <laughs> That'll do it. Chris and his ever, just ever-growing hatred for Spectrum. But so with that, we're going to jump right into the meat and potatoes of tonight's show, the kickoff of our Bills 2020 training camp preview series. And it starts with the offensive line. Take a look at the current state of the roster. We have five starters returning from last season. It starts at the top, in the middle, center Mitch Morse. He played 85% of all the snaps at center for the Buffalo Bills in 2019. He is one of the most expensive players on the entire roster, but he played last year at a... Well, he got two All-Pro votes. Mm-hmm. So if that doesn't tell you the job that Mitch Morse did last year... I mean, I've seen it out there on social media that people... There's Bills fans who don't believe that Mitch Morse did enough. That he didn't make the impact that people thought he was going to when they saw the Bills pay him $10 million a year. Right. But when but you know as well as I do, with offensive linemen, if you don't hear that guy's name, then something's going well. Right. I mean, 2018, you're talking about a season where we're ripping our hair out about Ryan Groy and Russell Bodine. 
and it's just it was never ending with the center position because it was so atrocious th- from week one to week sixteen. It was the lesser of two evils that season. Then you get a guy like Mitch Morse, who he had a little bit of a concussion history, and that concussion thing in the in the beginning of training camp last season was a real scare, and they sat him out for the entire preseason as a precautionary move. I don't think he missed any time, like any whole games. No, he he missed a few snaps in and in two games, mm-hmm. I believe, and you had to shuffle your offensive line. But you talk about. The value that you get with Mitch Morse. You get a guy who's a leader, a guy who's going to keep that band of the offensive line, which I don't think people really think about how much camaraderie goes into the offensive line and the continuity up front and the chemistry from the guy to your right to your left. Well, and usually that, it's the center that kind of is yep. at the heart of that. Because think about it. I mean, he, they call it the pivot, but he is the center of the operation. He's the one who touches the ball in every single offensive play. Mm-hmm. The only one. The only player who's guaranteed to touch the ball in every single offensive play. So with that said, there's a lot of responsibility there. And I think he handled it well. When you look at the guard situation, we're returning Quentin Spain and John Feliciano. Now, Spain being back, I mean, Chris, we were talking about it during the free agency show. Steal! An absolute steal of a contract! I, I wondered if he had an agent at all. I had to Google it. When I saw the fact that he re-signed here on what? Three, three years, years, five per. Yeah, it's like three years, 15. He played the highest percentage of offensive snaps of anyone in a Bills uniform at 99.4. That's more than Josh Allen. He played more snaps than Josh Allen. He gave up zero sacks. His pass protection was as good as advertised when we signed him on kind of a prove-it deal mm-hmm. last season. And he was used as a pulling guard, which was something that I think our offense lost. You know, going into 2018 when uh, Incognito and Eric Wood left, mm-hmm. our offense was left in the lurch because that was something that our offense did well, like that we really excelled with in 2017. You, you had two guys who had a hard time moving their feet with Vlad Dukas, Wyatt, oh, excuse me, three, John Miller, Vlad Dukas, and Wyatt Teller. That trio was probably one of the worst trios in the NFL as far as interior linemen, considering they were rotating the three. But talking- can you say those names? I've forgotten. I had drank it from my memory, the fact that those were our starting guards. Well, I mean, if you think about it, how they've rebuilt this offensive line over the last two off-seasons is really the embodiment of how they've rebuilt the entire football team. You're talking about an offensive line that went from one of the worst three in the league, hands down, one of the worst three in the league in 2018, to now probably collectively, from top to bottom, one of the best groups in the NFL. I'm a firm believer of that, that this, the offensive line from top to bottom is one of the best in the league. They have depth, and it's hard to have even good starters in the NFL. Well, and that's true. I'll give you that. And I think that the guard depth, as you say, is really improved because you look at Spain and what he brought, and then John Feliciano, who was a surprise. Mm-hmm. He was a surprise coming out of training camp. When you figure he was going up against a guy, as a career backup, John Feliciano was going up against a guy in Spencer Long who had held down a starting job pretty much everywhere he's ever played, whether it was center or whether it was guard. But the team saw something they liked in him. They liked the fact that he played, well, maybe not as technically refined as Spencer Long did. He's got some sandpaper to him. You know, I think that's how they crit. Chris, that's what they call it in hockey. Yeah. Ah, oh, you got to get a little grit. You got to get a little sandpaper <laughs> on that roster. Yeah. John Feliciano brings it. Brings yeah. it in practice against his own teammates, and he certainly brings it against his opponents. I've seen him bring it at the gas station. That one time I saw him pumping gas. <laughs> and Chris was too scared to go over and say anything to him. Well, I couldn't figure out who it was. I mean, I was Jesus, like, he's probably two feet taller than the gas pumps. Yeah. He's, <laughs> I, I saw him at the gas station, and I was like, That's, that is a Bills player. I am right by the stadium. And then I had to 
record a mental image, and then Google it in the car and figure out who he was. He's not a perfect talent when it comes to the guard position. No. I'm not going to call him a world beater, but what I will say is he, the team likes his intensity, and the intensity he plays with is kind of what that line needed. Yep. You, know, you lose Richie Incognito, you need somebody who's, who's going to bring some fight to every single football game, who's going to play a little bit after the whistle, who's going to make sure that if you take a liberty against somebody after the whistle or during a play, you're going to answer to them as soon as the play's over. You watched him become that for the Buffalo Bills in 2019. Not, not to mention Sean McDermott speaking out this offseason during everything going on, noting him as a captain, noting him as a leader, and yep. really kind of guiding his teammates into the right direction, if you will. And, you know, John Feliciano, going back to last offseason, I mean, I think that was probably one of the acquisitions I was the most wrong about. I, call, I called him uh, Bobby Johnson's Vlad Dukas. Because <laughs> when you talk about Juan Castillo bringing in Vlad Dukas wherever he went, that's how I refer to John Feliciano. He... He proved me wrong entirely. I think he was he was probably one of the most underrated guards in the league this past season, but he was definitely a surprise at that. Well, here's how I kind of figure out whether or not I like free agent moves. Because, again, I'm not a smart guy. I mean, I am, but let's face it. If you're taking – I've seen iTunes reviews, for those of you leaving them out there, about how, oh, Drew doesn't do enough analysis, and he's, he's a bad analyst because he doesn't bring all of the statistics to the – That's what you get from me. Okay? You're not an analyst. I'm not an analyst. And you don't claim to be one. I'm a guy who drinks and I know some things. <laughs> okay? I'm like the Tyron, uh, Tyrion Lannister of Bill's podcasting. I drink a lot and I know some things. Well, you're, be- things- you're better at free agency than you are at the draft. Yes. I- and one of the things that I found, that I found works for me as far as making my peace with free agent moves, after the fact, is I go to their team's fan sites. And I start looking at the commentary from the previous fan base. Russ Bodine's a perfect example of this. I went to the Cincinnati, a couple different Cincinnati Bengals blogs, and everyone and their mother, their attitude was, good riddance, boo, good luck to the Bills, boo, <laughs> this is going to be hilarious. And right then and there, that gives you like a bad feeling. Oh no. If that fan base is watching a four-year starter leave and they're celebrating it, I'm probably in a lot of trouble. And it turned out that way. John Feliciano... Raiders fans were pissed. Raiders fans were angry about the fact that the team let go a guy who they called the enforcer on their offensive line. They said that even though he was a backup, whenever he was in the lineup, he did more than anybody else on their offensive line to protect Derek Carr and to make sure that defenses knew you couldn't get away with anything when it came to Derek Carr when he was on the field. That immediately endeared John Feliciano to me. And watching the offseason play out the way that it did, and him winning the job, hey, good for him. It's going to be interesting this offseason or this training camp, seeing how he bounces back from that torn rotator cuff that he had repaired earlier in the offseason. I'm really intrigued to see how he bounces back physically, how he was staying on top of his rehabilitation throughout the process, given all the things that are going on. Because that that's really something I feel like people aren't talking about enough: is the amount no. of accountability this offseason that players have amongst themselves. They have, some, they have to be the most accountable than they have been I mean, in years past. I feel like it's a season in which you're going to see a lot of veterans. You're going to see the players who took care of themselves through the offseason. If, if a rookie wasn't, was kind of slacking and he got drafted and he wasn't really doing what he was supposed to from the time he got drafted, the time they hit the field in August, you're going you're gonna to notice that now more than ever, I feel. Well, we talked about it a few weeks ago with Kyle Trimble from bangedupbills.com about how this offseason is going to kind of expose what teams – have not only players that are accountable for their own health and well-being, 
but also what teams have quality programs in place to help condition these guys, to help make sure that when they do get back to the facility and when they do start working again, that they're not just injuring themselves. Look at Brandon Brooks, the guard from the Eagles last week. Yep. All pro guard tears his Achilles, and he's done for the year before they even see training camp. That's the type of stuff that you got to be prepared. You have to be insulated from that because accidents are going to happen. Mm-hmm. But also, your program has to be able to account for getting these guys conditioned before you start trotting them out there. I'm interested to see where the Bills land because last year our team was phenomenal I in mean, that aspect. For the listeners, I don't want them to be kind of unconfident. Because if it's a team that I'm confident oh, taking, taking the circumstances and making the best of it, it's definitely the Bills. I feel like this is a team that has leadership in place and not only the locker room but also in the front office where they, this is the kind of team that can rebound from this and make the most of the situation. Now, if you were to ask me this question, if we had Rex Ryan at the helm oh, Jesus. with that shit show, I would not be nearly as confident Absolutely. as I am right now. I agree, 100% agree. And then the tackle group. You have Deion Dawkins and Cody Ford returning. Now, Dawkins entering the final year of his rookie contract, and I think that he's illustrated that throughout his career, he's not a consensus top three to five left tackle in the NFL. Can you agree with me? He's not in that upper echelon of NFL tackles. Yep. But with that said, he's better than average. Mm -hmm. He's a passable left tackle, and that's important to have. He is a passable left tackle in the NFL. His play very much seems to be tied to the performance of the left guard next to him. And that's something, I think it's a big reason the team made a concerted effort to bring back Quentin Spain. Because they watched what happened to him from a rookie season that saw him play fairly well. Well enough that they felt comfortable trading away Cordy Glenn. And then they put a subpar guard next to him and he couldn't couldn't compensate. Right, he started with uh, Incognito, right? Yep. Yep. So, with that said, it's going to be interesting watching him come into his final year with some continuity on that front. You know, at this time last offseason, I feel like a lot of people were talking about the question mark at left tackle, and now it's kind of like, it's not even a hole. It's not no. even a question mark. It's more of a, can Deion Dawkins live up to a career season in that which he had in the, his third year? Can he live up to that, if not improve, and get a big payday at the end of this season? And, if it, and will it be with the Bills? It's going to be really interesting to see if they choose to re-sign him. I, I, don't, I wouldn't assume that it's going to happen this offseason. If it were going to happen, I feel like it happened at the end of next season. And I'm, I'm really interested to see the numbers because this offseason, you saw that tackle market get inflated as it's ever been. You see guys who barely start in this league getting $10 million per season. Well, we talked about it during our salary cap primer with Paul Wineski a few months ago. The tackle pay since 2017 has increased almost 100%. But that corresponds with the fact that teams have realized you not only need one serviceable tackle, you need two now. Mm -hmm. With the way modern defenses operate and the way that every team now has at least two good pass rushers, you have to do it. And so with that said, tackle pay has increased. And with that, you know, rising tides float all boats. A guy like Deion Dawkins, years ago, this is a guy you would say, well, he might take a mid-tier contract. Mm -hmm. Now... The conversation changes, and you're talking about possibly expending a ton of money to retain his services. Not saying he doesn't deserve it. He's going to have to play this deal out, and I'm sure they'll deal with it at the end of the year. On the other side of him, you've got Cody Ford. Entering his sophomore season in the NFL, the kid has potential, and he he showed flashes of it, specifically in the run game. I think he 
arguably one of the better run-blocking right tackles I've seen play for the Bills in a while. Chris, we have been indoctrinated as Bills fans to having right guards that suck. The last one <laughs> that I liked was Brad Butler. Yeah, Brad Butler! We're taking a call back to the mid-2000s. That guy was a third-round draft pick who was on the verge of going into free agency and signing a lucrative contract extension with the Buffalo Bills. And he tore his, I think it was, it was either his Achilles or it was his knee. He tore it up in a game against the Saints here in Buffalo. And he decided that as a guy who held a master's degree in poli-sci, to hell with football. To hell with football. I'm not doing it anymore. And he retired. He retired. The best right tackle we had in years. That's Bills. That's as Billsy as it gets. And after that, we were subjected to years of bad right tackle play. Chris Jordan Mills. Oh Jesus! Yeah. Pulled his pants. Who was Cameron yeah. Way? Cameron Way twice his, a year would pull his, his, his pants, pants down, down on national TV. We'd all get to see Jordan Mills' whole ass. In fact, one time <laughs> I think it actually happened. His pants fell down. And someone tweeted at us, look, it's like you were saying, it's Jordan Mills' whole ass. <laughs> my, my thing on, on Cody Ford is, is he for sure a tackle? Are yep. we done with that guard-tackle discussion? Well, that's, that's the biggest question mark. You go first. Have. That's the biggest question mark I have for Cody Ford is, it's not necessarily of, will he play? He's going to start. It's really, where will he play? I don't know if it's going to be right tackle. I don't know if it's going to be right guard. I doubt it'll be left guard. They signed Quentin Spain. That's they where signed Quentin Spain. That's where he's played his whole career as left guard, yes. on the left side of the football. So if he's going to play anywhere, it's going to be along the right side. And I think that's kind of where John Feliciano's torn rotator cuff may come into play. Is if he okay. had, if he has a setback in training camp, if he has a setback during competition, that's kind of where I feel like that's where Cody Ford's opportunity is going to be to move inside. If that's what their desire is for him. Because personally, I feel like he's a far better fit along the interior than he would be along the exterior, given his foot quickness on the outside. And that's the thing. When you look at Co- when you look at what Cody Ford was bringing to the table last year, he left a lot to be desired in pass protection. So there's a, there's still a lot of question marks around him. And unfortunately, he we're gonna have to like there's nothing he did down the stretch to take any of that away at the end of the season. So with that, you know, training camp here. He's going to be a guy who gets a lot of eyeballs thrown his way. Mm. Backups of note. Guys that are worth talking about on the roster. Offensive tackle Ty Inseki and Daryl Williams. They have 58 combined starts coming at various positions along the offensive line. So they're versatile. They have each demonstrated patches, big stretches of starter-level play over the course of their careers. In the, in the sense of Daryl Williams, all-pro-level play. Mm. Followed up by some aggravatingly mediocre play. For both of them, injuries seem to be a narrative that have followed them throughout the course of the career. I mean, Ty Inseki, he didn't get his start. He's a weird case where he's he's younger in football years than his age would be. You know, almost like a mm-hmm. Fred Jackson right. sort of a situation. But with that said, he's had some injuries too. He's been dinged up. He was dinged up last year with the Bills. Mm-hmm. And it cost him a handful of starts where Cody Ford was the... Ryan Bates was our primary backup. Darrell Williams has had the kind of the same track to him, which is why he's been relegated to backup duty. Spencer Long. Spencer, in fact, I'm just going to run another group. Spencer Long, Ike Bodiger, Ryan Bates, and Evan Bowen. Those are your backup interior linemen. You got Long, he's got 44 career starts to his credit. 
but he can play guard and center. He's got some versatility there. And while he's not perfect as a starter, he's done it. He's done it for every team he's played with except for Buffalo. He played well when he had to step in last season as well. Exactly. Boehm, a spot starter for three different teams over the course of his career. No one would call him an ideal starter at any position. But he's been good enough that every single team he's found his way on, has, he's ended up on the field. Whether that says he's replaced people who sucked on bad football teams. I mean, I, I'm not going to. I mean, he did come from Miami. Just take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> but he seems to do well when he's stuck between a good center and a good tackle. Combo blocks seem to be. I, I watched some film on him, and that. Yeah, for those of you who say I don't do analysis, combo blocking seems to be his thing. So it seems like he his future is going to be tied to who else makes how everyone else around him does. Because he needs a strong supporting cast to make him a serviceable starter or a serviceable player. But with that said, the Bills may have the framework for that. Bodiger and Gates are interesting. Because, I mean, you didn't see a lot of them. Neither of them played more than 10% of last year's snaps. They're projects. But they've got some versatility positionally, which we know McDermott has a hard-on for. It's going to be interesting to see where they slot in. I'm really looking forward to seeing what Daryl Williams is going to bring to training camp because here's a player who I, I know you guys talked about him going into the 2018 offseason. I know I was enamored by him. I thought the Bills should definitely go after him. And then you saw him sit that throughout all free agencies waiting for his contract, and he got a one-year $9 million deal in Carolina, and they ended up drafting Greg Little. So he got bounced from right guard, left guard, right tackle, left tackle, Playing everywhere. The team kind of made up their mind on him. Right. They said, hey, we want you, but not really. We're going to draft this other guy. Just don't tell Daryl. Now, coming into Buffalo, I think he's going to have more of an opportunity to play his true position, where he got an all-pro accolade for, right tackle. He's going to have an opportunity to compete for that right tackle position, which is currently held by Cody Ford. That's kind of where the whole Cody Ford, John Policiano conversation comes into play. Well, we're going to talk even more about that in a minute, but ultimately, when you look at this roster as a whole, I mean, we could, we're not going to spend all night talking. Chris, there's 16 linemen on the team. I'm not, I'll be damned if I sit here and try to come up with something to say about all of them, because most of them are like the, uh, the gentleman from uh, Office Space. When they're shuffling the folders and they're trying to figure out what it, how to pronounce his last name, and it's just not not, not going to work here anymore. That's how most of these guys are. Our five starters are already entrenched, so I'm not really as interested in those deep diving into these backups. But how crazy is that, Chris? That we don't have to. It's insane. I mean, just like what you said, uh, versatility all across this line. So, if, like, you know, it seems like if God forbid Morse goes down. We've got somebody serviceable, serviceable behind him. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like that across the board. For the first time since 2016-2017, the Bills are returning the same, their, their five starters from the previous year. And they've upgraded in the sense that Jordan Mills is no longer here. That guy, I'll go to the grave thinking he might be one of the most egregious things that happened to my football team. I hated it. And he well, just what was it, four, four or five years? He was, five, he was here for like five years. He was never hurt. He was always durable. That's he was my always, point. He's <laughs> one of the most durable people, and you're watching it going, It was I've, awful. I've never seen someone play so healthy and yet suck so badly, and yet the team keeps trotting you out there. That says more about us than it says about him. But with that said, in this offseason's free agent spending spree, the Bills did a solid job of cementing the fact that, well, we may not have an elite talent, a 
at every position across the offensive line. They've got a sizable amount of NFL experience and depth at the most critical positions. They're not world beaters right now. I mean, when I think of the upper echelon offensive lines, I think of I think of the Cowboys. The Cowboys are a team that have invested multiple first-round picks, multiple second-round picks. They've gotten lucky on some late-round picks that panned out as depth. Their offensive line is traditionally one of the strongest in football. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott's been a huge benefactor of that. Yep. The Ravens are a team that every single year puts out a road grader of an offensive line. When you look at teams like that, the Eagles, the Eagles have had just for years with Jason Peters, former mm-hmm. Buffalo Bill, they've had a wealth of talent, but they've also drafted it very highly and they've put a lot into cultivating that talent. They're never going to be in the same conversation as those offensive lines. But right now we're a unit running 16 players deep that has experience at every single level, both as a starter and a backup, and the versatility that they can shuffle the deck around if needed, and you won't see that big of a drop-off in overall talent. Just to, to explain why that's so important, if you look at Miami, during last week's show, Chris, we talked about the fact that when you looked at the, the turnover that taking place on these NFL teams from last year to this year, ESPN ranked the Bills number one in continuity. And the Miami Dolphins were number 10. But you know where they didn't benefit from any of that? On their offensive line. They're returning some of their starters in Miami, which isn't a good thing. That offensive line sucked. Every single backup offensive lineman on Miami's roster right now is a rookie. Do you, Clayton, feel comfortable as a fan of a football team if you know, the first time someone gets hurt in training camp, a rookie has to take that job? Oh, that, that, that's not a good situation to have for a football team. Especially if your quarterback is to attack Viola. <laughs> yeah, he's coming off a of hip surgery. And Jesus. That's just, I wouldn't say it's poor roster building because I part of me really likes what Miami did this offseason. I feel like it, they did well for the long term, but maybe not for the short term up front. I would have liked them to see, I would have liked to see them make far more valuable investments up front into smarter investments. I wasn't a huge fan of the Andrew Jackson pick. I I just I feel like they didn't address the holes adequately. I don't feel like I, I feel like they spent a lot of money on defense, whereas they should have spent a little more up front. Well, and here's one of the things: when you take what they have going on, where your starters aren't even serviceable and your backups are all just rookies, the Bills' offensive line—if you take out the undrafted free agent rookies that we added this offseason—have an average of 4.2 years of NFL experience. It's going to be a dogfight for those backup jobs. And that's what you want. You want to see, if you if you truly believe you're a competitive NFL team, you want to know that the guys who are fighting for your backup jobs are guys who have held starting jobs. Guys who are good. They understand what it is to go through a training camp. They know what it is to fight for a job. They understand what it is to suit up on Sunday and go put your hands on another man and bury him into the ground. They know what it's like to get ready for a season in the offseason. Yes. I feel like if it's anybody that would have struggled with it this offseason, it would have been Cody Ford. But there's so much experience. There's so many veterans. There's so many leaders around him that I feel like it's almost impossible that if he were in tune with his teammates, if he were in communication with his teammates, it'd be almost impossible for him to slack off. It'd be almost impossible for him to drop off and not be accountable and do the work that he has to do during an offseason as if it was any normal offseason. And last week we talked about how – we were going over who's tradable and who's not in this offensive line group. 
because of the Eagles injury to Brandon Brooks, because he's such a huge part of what they plan to do up front, the Eagles are saying all the right things about how, oh, we'll, quote unquote, we'll find an answer in house. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're starting <laughs> back. You're, you're the the backup. You're the first guy off the bench for your team posted a two point six relative athletic score in twenty eighteen as a rookie. He's green. He has no versatility. He's not a good athlete. He's a little small for the position. You don't have anybody. Meanwhile, you look at the Bills team. The experience versatility. It's that's what it comes down to. When you look at the offensive linemen in the roster, at least six of them have played multiple positions on the offensive line. And of those six, five of them, they're vying for backup jobs. And they have five or more years' experience in the NFL. If you can't go out and get a line like the Cowboys, I'd much rather take what we have. Yep. So with that said, heading into training camp. Every year, teams head into training camp with at least some idea of what, quote-unquote, success for a given unit would look like and with some players that have specific things they need to work on who needs to show what who's on the bubble whether it's a guy penciled in as a starter who shows that he's improved his technique or whether it's a guy who is in a contract year and you're like look he needs to come out or a guy who's he needs to come out and execute like a veteran mm-hmm. or a guy who's been injured who you're like look this guy needs to come out and make it through the offseason in one piece i need to see that he can do that if my team is going to rely on it. Even down to some of the maybe youth pushing some of these higher-priced veterans off the roster. Every position is going to have some of that. So in terms of what it means to the offensive line, the first thing I'd ask you is how confident do you think we should be feeling with all six starting linemen? We'll call it six because Ty and Secchi play a lot. Mm-hmm. How comfortable should we be feeling heading into 2019 with this group? You should definitely feel very comfortable with this offensive line. As you said, the five offensive linemen with multiple position versatility behind them, five of the six backups have versatility across the offensive line, and you have plenty of experience as depth. I mean, I don't even know if you can call it six offensive linemen. I feel like you have to call it seven because I can't rule out a guy who was an all-pro just two seasons ago. Whether it was injuries, whether it was being shuffled around an offensive line, you can't rule out Darrell Williams this this, uh, training camp. I don't think he's going to come in and just let somebody take that right tackle spot because, hey, he's brought in on a $2 million deal. He has a lot to prove this season. He's essentially playing for his career going into this season. If he doesn't get a starting job, he's going to fight like hell to get one. Man, and I mean, that's and that's one of the things. There's so much fight taking place here this offseason. Being said, he wants to stack talent on talent and just let everybody, let them figure it out on the field. Mm-hmm. He said that since he got here. Now, as I said, our team, from an offensive line perspective, will never be confused as one of the best. They graded out fairly mediocre last year. I mean, they did well in some spots. I mean, the goons over at Pro Football Focus and the guys at Football Outsiders... Both gave them middling grades. I mean, when you look at it, they were in the middle of the pack in terms of sacks allowed, which is not... Spoiler alert, this statement here is going to become a staple of the next 40 minutes of podcasting. This is not all the offensive line's fault. They were middle of the pack in terms of sacks. And despite ranking eighth in rushing yards... Which you'd think, okay, that's a good offensive line. If your team is eighth in rushing yards in the NFL, they were 25th in drives that ended in points. 
again, not all of that is their fault. But with better blocking up front, I have to say that that ranking would be higher. Right? I think a lot of it, people are going to like this answer, but a lot of it hinges on Josh Allen. A lot of it does. When you talk about the sacks, when you talk about drives ending in points, maybe that's not as much Josh Allen as it could be the offensive coordinator. But you're talking about an offense that it it doesn't fall all on one unit. It doesn't Mm -hmm. fall on the receivers. It doesn't fall on the running backs. It doesn't just fall on the quarterbacks. It's in a unit. You have to perform comprehensively through through as one, if you will. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about rankings with the offensive line, things such as the points, things such as the sacks, you can point to the offensive line as far as sacks. I mean, when you look at a season like 2018, yes, that offensive line was awful. You can't put a percentage of that on Josh <laughs> Allen, but it's not going to be a very high one. Whereas last season, you're talking about a season where it may have been 60-40, Josh Allen offensive line or vice versa. So I think a lot, of this, a lot of this season, as far as improvement in those three categories that you just mentioned, a lot of it hinges on Josh Allen. Well, I think, that, I think Brandon Bean agrees with you. Because rather than make a major overhaul up front this offseason, the front office trusts that the talent they have on hand and the depth that they're able to cultivate will gel and produce a better product in 2020. And in terms of both their division and potentially the AFC, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find one with more experience and versatility than ours right now. So with that said, I I agree with you that fans should feel a considerable amount of comfort with the line, even if it's not ever going to be known as elite in 2020. I I don't necessarily agree that it won't be considered elite. I feel like once you get to the later portion of the season, where the season is really all geared, you're going to the playoffs, it's the home stretch, you have to win X amount of games, you have to perform at home under the lights in some scenarios for the Bills this season, I feel like once you get to that part of the season where the running game really dials in, when you're playing in bad weather here and there, I feel like that's where the Bills are going to be considered one of the better offensive lines. And if they make a run in the playoffs, I feel like it'll be because of the offensive line, obviously the defense. But if you're talking about success on the offensive side of the ball, you're going to be pointing at the offensive line as well as the quarterback, if that's the case. Oh, and I agree because the continuity factor, the fact that you're bringing all these guys back, they've they've had a year of experience together, and the fact that when you look around the NFL and even look at our division, our floor, at its worst, our offensive line is better and deeper than anything any one of the other three teams is trotting out there. Mm-hmm. So that alone puts us into a puts us into a category where you should feel pretty comfortable about what we're going to trot out there. Now, considering how little turnover there is up front, what are what's an area that you think, as fans, we should reasonably expect the team to improve? is both training camp and the preseason develop as it relates back to 2019. I feel like you're going to see improvement from Cody Ford. Whether whether it's on the at right tackle or at right guard, I feel like you're going to see considerable improvement from him this season. Because, I mean, you, you, you hear Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott talking in press conferences prior to the draft. Oh, we, we have to build up front. We don't know what we have up front. Oh, Cody, we, we haven't really specified to him where he's going to play. And they ended up not investing draft capital into the right tackle position rather than signing Darrell Williams, I believe, a couple weeks prior. So when you talk about Cody Ford, he knows that he's going to have to perform this season. He knows that he can't have a letdown year, similar to that of Deion Dawkins after his rookie season. He can't have one of those seasons because you're talking about a job in which if you don't really perform, there's two guys behind you ready to take your job that have way more experience than you. Well, it's like they've said, they, they firmly believe that pressure will force you to improve. Mm-hmm. And they want to put talent on talent on talent and make guys prove that they deserve to be on the field. 
I mean, I was a little surprised, Chris. Cody Ford getting that starting job out of the gate to start last season. Yeah, I don't know if that was uh, warranted. Usually, McDermott, you know, he doesn't give rookies jobs, but you know, he I, slow plays rookies. Well, there's all sorts of uncertainty surrounding that, if I'm correct, right? Mm-hmm. Because we didn't really know how severe Cody Ford, or excuse me, Ty Seki's knee injury was. It got to the point where, oh, they're rotating because Cody Ford can't handle all the snaps. Where once Ty and Seki went down with that knee injury, we're wondering, okay, maybe they were rotating because Ty and Seki couldn't handle the workload of a whole four quarters. And you have a point there. I mean, that's something, and I have here written on my list, which is why I, I love the fact that you're sitting here in studio with us without a laptop, with nothing in front of you, you've got no fucking notes, and yet you're on pace with me here. Pass protection on the right side was mine. You're talking about a team in the Buffalo Bills that made the playoffs, but our offense was erratic at best when it came to passing the football. And again, not all of this is their fault on the offensive line. They can do better when it comes to supporting Josh Allen in terms of pass protection. One of the things I noticed, and it really drove me crazy, the pressure that developed in the middle and on the right side of the offensive line over the course of the 2019 season, it was a consistent issue all all year long. And that makes sense if you consider the talent on hand. You've got an offense, you've got a center that missed a giant chunk of the preseason process. We were worried he was going to miss the start of the season. He's playing with a brand new team, a brand new right guard. You've got a right guard who's getting his first shot at starting in the NFL, and you've got a rookie right tackle who was touted as having raw footwork coming out of the draft. They weren't horrible, but when you look at on the other side of the line, Spain and Dawkins, you didn't hear about them the first month of football. Why? Because they handled their business. Mm-hmm. When you go to the right side of the line, Chris, how many times during the preseason? I remember the game against Carolina. It was two back-to-back plays by guys who would go on to not make the Carolina roster. Just blew Cody Ford up. Oh, I know. Exactly just beat the brakes off of him, and it was just an unblocked sack of the quarterback, and you just hold your breath. You're like, oh, my God. See, my only takeaway from that Carolina game was Beauchamp Joseph just blowing up Greg Little. <laughs> Greg, <laughs> Greg Little on roller skates? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See... I feel like when you talk about John Feliciano, as good of a player as I feel he is, he's just that. He's good. He's not, he's not great. Oh, he's not great. He's good. He's not He's not going to be worse than your average offensive guard in the NFL, but he's not going to be better than the top tier. Not even I wouldn't even say top tier. Maybe middle tier starters in the NFL. He has limitations, and when you talk about pass protection, that's exactly what it is. It's his pass pro that limits him as a player. He's great in the run game. You're talking about a right side that are – they're great in the run game. They paved the way for us to be a top 10 rushing team. Exactly. They're, they're, they're almost second to none as far as mauling people along the interior. But when it comes to spreading out the offense, getting some efficiency when throwing the football, having pressure along the interior is where it's the most dangerous. And I feel like that's really where it bit the passing offense the most this past season. Oh, absolutely. Because when you look at it, the Bills ran 11 personnel last year. For those of you laymen like Chris, I see you giving me the dead fish eyes over there when I say 11 personnel. It means you have one tight end on the field and three wide receivers with a single running back. The Bills ran 11 personnel, 70% of all of their offensive plays. And in those situations is where they encountered most of their issues with pressure on the right side, which makes sense. You're spreading the offensive line out, or or at least you're leaving them. you're, You're almost, you're spreading things out in terms of the field. But the defense is able to key on 
six guys mm -hmm. on the offensive line. And what you're hoping, I mean, you have a rookie tight end in Dawson Knox lining up off the shoulder of a rookie right tackle. And when you look back at games like the Ravens game last year, they crucified us in those situations. And that's what happens to rookies, especially in pass protection when they're trying to jump from the NCAA to the NFL. Mm -hmm. We watched that happen in Knox and Ford. They weren't terrible from one week to the next. It's not like, oh my God, these guys are a tire fire. But whenever we played a, an upper echelon team, a playoff team, we'll call them. I mean, I looked at the numbers. The only playoff team we went up against that didn't achieve at least four sacks on the Bills was Houston in the playoffs. That's it. Everybody else, I mean, the Ravens had six sacks and a forced fumble. They ate, their, they, they brought creative blitzes. And they punished that right side of the line because you have raw players, John Feliciano, Cody Ford, Dawson Knox. Three guys who just either are too inexperienced or just not a high enough of a ceiling in pass pro mm -hmm. to stop guys like Matthew Judon, who just got franchise tagged as a pass rusher. And when you have a coordinator like they do on defense, dialing up exotic blitzes, those kids get confused, they get tricked into things, and we took a beating in that aspect. That, to me, is a place where this team has to come out of training camp looking better. Yep. They have to. And I feel like that's exactly where the whole continuity going into 2020 kind of plays in. When you talk about continuity, I think the place that it's the most important is along the offensive line. As you alluded to earlier, having five returning starters for the first time since, what, 2016, when that offensive line, the line of uh, Glenn, Incognito, Wood, Mil uh, Miller, and Mills, not, not that great on the right side, but when you're talking about that offensive line, they were at their peak when they started left to right, the same exact guys for three consecutive years, when the Bills were one of the top rushing attacks in the NFL for three consecutive years. I feel like if it's any, if they're going to improve in any area, it will definitely be the pass protection. If they're going to go with the same five. I mean, you keep touching on how it's not all on the offensive line. You're still, I mean, you had a second-year quarterback, and you had a rookie running back back there as well when you're in 11 personnel. Those are two players that are definitely going to have to improve going into the season in that facet as well. My thing going into training camp is the training staff. Because yep. if we're this deep as far as backups and everybody stays healthy and plays consistent throughout all four preseason games, then when you run into a situation like the Eagles, you're able to fleece them because they need an offensive lineman. Who, who do you think it would be? Well, we talked about it last week, and I'm pretty sure it, it I mean, I guess I go back and forth on it. There's a lot of players on this roster that have value. It just, I think it just depends on the team, the fit, and the situation. I mean, I'm a petty human being. So I said I enjoy the fact that our GM sits back like Mr. Burns in The Simpsons <laughs> and just waits for something terrible to happen to a team. Like the New England Patriots last year is like, oh, blood clots in the heart of your starting center. What did we get for Bodine? A sixth. Four, a sixth? It's like, that sucks. Do you want a terrible center that I'm probably going to cut anyway? And they took it! <laughs> Knowing that we have that guy at the helm, who knows what's possible? But there's, some, there's definitely some guys on this roster who have value. Guys like Ty. Well, I'm going to talk about one of them here in a minute. But ultimately, when it comes to pass pro across the board, I think you can agree with me. We were a top, what, top three rushing team under Sean McDermott in 2017. Yes. And under Rex Ryan. And then we took a step back in 2018 because we fielded the second cheapest offensive line in football. 
The line is a hole made less than Taylor Lewan, the left tackle for the Titans. The whole line made less than one starting left tackle. So when you look at it like that, and then you look at what we did in 2019, they're trying to gel. They kind of hit the reset button up front. The Bills made the playoffs in 2019. Can't take it away from them. But the numbers illustrate exactly how much our defense allowed for that. The Bills are 27th in passing yards per game. They were, yeah, yeah, that face right there. There you go, Clayton. That's what I was hoping for. The Bills were 24th in passing touchdowns per game at 1.3. Buffalo was the only team ranked lower than 18th to make the touchdown, to make the playoffs in 2019 with that 24th ranked passing touchdowns per game. The New England Patriots were the 18th ranked team. They also fielded an elite defense. So if you wanted to look at the next non-elite upper echelon defense to make the playoffs with a mediocre touchdown rate, it went all the way to 15th with the Minnesota Vikings. Essentially, you don't make the playoffs if you don't throw touchdowns on a consistent basis. You just don't. It's not all their fault. It is not all the fault of the offensive line. All right, now that I've said that, (laughs) the Bills were also 23rd in their percentage of passing plays that resulted in a sack at 7.1%. That means one out of every 14 dropbacks, Josh Allen hit the turf. Now, see, I see you smile. <laughs> what do you think when you hear that? I, I think it's a mixture of things. It's a mixture of a quarterback not recognizing what he's seeing. Well, as you touched on, a mm-hmm. first-time entrenched starter at right guard not being sure what he's seeing. A right tackle who's new to everything, not sure what he's seeing. And just, you know, the combination of everything that goes with 9 of 11 starters being brand new. That being, I mean, that, that, was a, that was a trend throughout the entire season last year. Well, but if you Google it, there's a, there's a I believe it's BillsWire.com has an article from October saying it through the early part of the season when we were 5-1. and one, mm-hmm. The Bills were posting some of the best pass protection grades in the NFL. And then we started playing teams with actual front sevens. <laughs> and it got ugly. Really, really quick, it got ugly. I mean, when, when I looked over the numbers and just tried to look at how the rest of the NFL fared in that sack percentage number, we were second highest in the AFC East. I mean, Miami and New York were abysmal. They were 28th and 29th, respectively, which is where they belong. It's where they should be. It's what they deserve. I mean, let's, let's be honest. They deserve that. Only two teams did worse than we did and still made the playoffs. Seattle, ranked 27th. 8.5% sack percentage. Houston was 30th, 9.8. And the common factor between both those teams is they had quarterbacks who were in the MVP conversation. At some exactly. Point last <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Up top. Social distancing be damned. Chrissy, this is what I love about this guy. He knows exactly where I'm going. Both of those teams needed elite quarterbacks to overcome the team's inability to pass protect on a regular basis. That's the only reason they were successful at all. <sighs> Neither of them made it past the second round of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even with MVP caliber quarterbacks. We don't want to see that happen to the Buffalo Bills. So we're entering 2020 with a lot of hype. 
both locally just among diehard fans, you know, the guys at the gas station. Bills are going to... I saw a drunk guy leaving a gas station, which I hope he wasn't walking to his vehicle because he was clearly hammered. But he was just yelling to no one into the ether, Bills are going all the way! They're Super Bowl! And he was fist pumping, and I'm like, holy shit, it's noon, sir. It's noon! What day of the week? Uh, I think like a Thursday. That's bad. <laughs> not good that's not good i hope he wasn't walking to a vehicle but with that said there's a lot of hype here locally and in the national media they're starting to jump on that bandwagon yeah adam shines driving the bus on that one but i get where they're coming from we're the most put together team in the afc's right now and that's fueled division title talk and even some people have taken it farther you've got michael robinson who i chris we make fun of him every year on this show when he predicts us going <laughs> to the, winning the title yeah, he's, he's done it every year since 16, except 18. He's saying AFC's title game or bust. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> if we're going to get there, last year's effort on, in pass protection is not going to be good enough. You're going to have to improve that. You have to. The numbers we put up across the offensive line in terms of blocking metrics were not good enough to realize any of that hype. Mm-hmm. I think... You're right. In order for this offense to succeed, in order for any offense to succeed, you need adequate play up front. Whether it's in your run game, whether it's in pass game, hell, you need you need adequate play in both facets of an offense in order to have an adequate offense. So when you're talking about this offensive line and how they're going to mesh this season, how it's going to impact the outcome of the 2020 Buffalo Bills, it hinges a lot on them. It hinges a lot on the protection they can provide Josh Allen. It hinges a lot on the holes that they can open up for Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. To be quite honest, I'm not that concerned of what this offensive line can produce for the running backs, what they can produce for drawn-up run plays for the quarterback. I'm not concerned about that at all. I'm concerned about the deep drop backs for Josh Allen where he needs time for plays to develop. Yes. You, you went out and got Stephon Gilmore, who excels in downfield contested balls. Diggs? D- Stephon Diggs. What did I say? Gilmore. Stephon Gilmore. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, give me all those beers back. You're done. Oh, no. You're done. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm, fa- I'm failing over here. I'm blacking out. You went out and made the acquisition of this player a point this offseason. You knew you needed to get better. In I mean, when you look at Josh Allen, he improved as a passer. Mm-hmm. The place he didn't get better was down the field. So you went out and brought in a guy who has elite talent in those areas where Josh Allen struggled the most. Just to see whether or not it's him or whether it's the talent on the team. There's no excuses to be made for Josh Allen this year. Mm -hmm. But in order for him to be able to capitalize on that, someone's going to have to block for him long enough for a guy like Stephon Diggs to get open downfield. Seven-step drops, I I used to hold my breath every single time I'd watch a play-action pass. He's going to make it to the drop. I would stare at Cordy uh, Cordy Glenn. I would stare at Cordy Ford and just go, oh my God, please. Please, 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 please. We'd be at the stadium... And they'd be talking about something happening in the stands and a whole play. I'd just be watching Ford going, please, no. <laughs> oh, God. And there was a couple plays where he d- just olayed a guy because of his poor footwork. And you you go, oh, no. I'd put my hands up and people would look at me instead of at the field. They'd go, Drew, what's wrong? It just happened. <laughs> the thing that just – and it didn't always end in disaster. Sometimes the pass rusher missed. Sometimes he took the angle too wide. But man, I'll tell you, that guy gave me more heart attacks watching every single play 
Our seats are essentially where we have the all 22 angle. Yep. So I'm watching him just whiff on pass protection, and it's like, oh no. Honest to goodness, I some of the pass pro, some of the reps that he got last season were really, really bad. They were they were atrocious. And when you see him play against players like Von Miller, he handled Von Miller okay. But when he played against a player like Demarcus Lawrence, he handled Demarcus Lawrence okay. So that kind of gives you a glimpse of hope or some sort of promise for there to be a higher ceiling. But I think you're holding Cody Ford back as long as you have him playing at tackle, as long as you have him playing on an island where some of the most athletic players in the world play at defensive end, some of the most athletic freaks that you're ever going to see in any professional league, as long as you're playing him at right tackle, I don't think you're playing him at his true position. It may have worked in Oklahoma playing him at right tackle, but it does not work in the NFL. I, I, I can't stress enough. I've been stressing it for two years. His best position is going to be along the interior at right guard. And I think when the Bills' offensive line is at its peak with the front five that they send out there in front of Josh Allen, it'll feature Cody Ford inside. That's a bold statement because he's listed. I have him as my starter who has the most approved in 2020. Returning starter with the most approved. Think about it. He was the anti-Cody Cody Glenn. Mm-hmm. He was the guy that... Cordy Glenn was the player in the draft that they, you know, the Bills, everyone kept saying, he's a guard, he's a guard, he's a guard. And the Bills drafted him. And then they said, bah, we jokes on you. We knew he was a tackle the whole time. And he proved them right. When you look at Ford, he's the guy that they keep telling you, well, he's a tackle. Everyone said he's a guard during the draft process. Mm-hmm. And then he goes out there and plays tackle for a year, and you go, woof, maybe he's a guard. <laughs> Maybe that guy, he lived up to his billing as maybe a guard. I think it plays along with the kind of prototype they like in their offensive, quote-unquote, their offensive tackles. I mean, you look at a player like Deion Dawkins, who they drafted to play left tackle, who a lot of people said similar things. He should be bumped inside. He should His ceiling's along the interior. So it's going to be interesting to see if Cody Ford pans out long-term like it seems as if Deion Dawkins has. I have a hard time calling him a starter last year. I mean, he split a lot of Cody, games. Mm-hmm almost 50-50 with Ty and Secchi. And what that speaks to is the fact that your coaching staff just does not have faith in you. When things break down in a pass protection sense, because they know they can trust you in the running game, but you're getting beat like a drum in pass pro. Look at the Houston game. Yep. He and Ty and Secchi played almost a 50% split of snaps. Because by the end of the game, J.J. Watt just took over the right side of that line. Ford was lost. Mm-hmm. And so they had to pull him out. And then they were rotating the two of them on a drive-to-drive basis, which that's not a starting right tackle in my my opinion anyway. I just see the whole rotation thing. That was kind of something that drew me sour to the Bills offense in 2019. I didn't feel like you were ever going to maximize potential of that personnel in that offense as long as you were rotating the right tackle. I didn't. I felt like that was the case, and they did it from week one until they lost that playoff game. Well, I'll say this. When you look at the numbers... With Ty Insecki and Cody Ford, if you look at the splits between in the stats but from one rep set to the next, when Ty Insecki was on the field, the Bills averaged one more yard per pass and almost one more yard per rush attempt. I don't know what... I, you, stats are stats. You can twist them. You can make them lie. You can make them tell a narrative. Oof. What I see is the fact that they deferred to Insecki. It seems like every game they were really... They wanted to put Ford out there and give him the opportunity, but they were very quick to put Inseki out there mm-hmm. to save the the team from Ford. Mm-hmm. 
And so in that sense, in year two, I'm looking at him as the guy who has the most to prove on this entire off out of that whole offensive line room. Deion Dawkins going into a contract year, I don't give a shit about that. <laughs> I want to talk to you about Cody Ford because he has to prove that he's an NFL right tackle. Right tackles are now just as highly paid as left tackles. Yep. You have to be because, like I said, the pass rushing and the way teams like the Ravens will attack you if they think that if they smell blood in the water, you're a dead man. Especially if you're bad in pass protection. He's he's powerful. He's a mauler. If he gets his hands on you, you're done. He'll put guys to the earth and then get to the second level. He's athletic, but his his finesse and his technique needs work. And he has to prove that he's come into the second year with limited time with our coaching staff and show that he's worked enough on his own that he could improve in the fact that he needs to be able to mirror speed rushers. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about this. I looked at his numbers for penalties, okay? Ninth in the NFL in overall penalties, Cody Ford was. Really? Yep. It's a lot higher than I'd expect. Yeah. What's more frustrating, he was tied for third with five holding penalties over the course of the year, which I know some fans are like, bullshit, they call holding on every play, it doesn't matter. You as a tackle who's splitting time with someone got called for five holding penalties. You're in a conversation with guys who started every game and didn't have to swap out halfway through, and you had just as many holding penalties as they did. And And you're in the top five of the league. What that speaks to is a lack of technique. You played yep. football, so did I. What you know is that when you're out of position and when your opponent is better than you, both physically, both speed-wise, you cheat. It's just human nature. You reach out and you start to clutch and grab. In this offseason, he has to prove that he can improve that mirroring ability, that he can improve his ability that first punch just to get his pass rusher off balance. If he can't improve in those things... He's going to get eaten alive this year, and I think it could hurt him in terms of winning a starting job and holding it down over the course of the year. I'm interested to see, obviously, if he, if he improved, if he didn't improve, and what the plan is if he's not the long-term right tackle. But I'm also interested to see if what happens if he loses that battle. Because, to be quite honest, as much as I say John Feliciano may not be a long... He's good, not great. And... He has that attitude about him. He pretty much has that right guard spot locked down. I, under, I, I kind of play around with the idea of bumping Cody Ford inside, but I don't think they expected John Feliciano to be the player that he is on this football team right now, being no. considered a leader. And I don't think there's quite enough for Cody Ford where if he loses that right tackle spot, oh, okay, you're just going to be one and two with John Feliciano. Now you just got to win this battle. I don't feel like it's as, e- as simple as that for this coaching staff because if he moves along to the interior, he's moving to arguably one of the most – one of the deepest positions on the team at that point. Exactly. So that's where you kind of start wondering, okay, well, what are they going to do with him at that point? Because John Feliciano, he's not a young man, but he's not an old man either. He's only no. 28, and he's going into a contract year. Ty Insecki is the only member of this offensive line over the age of 30. Right. And I, I'm curious to see if Cody Ford loses that right tackle battle with either Ty Insecki or Daryl Williams, if he becomes a trade candidate. That's Ooh. something I'm curious to see. I understand that might kind of upset fans to hear a, player who they traded up for in the second round just a year ago just to have him traded away for whatever the asset may be. But that's kind of how it works. You, you have a lot of bodies here along the offensive line from left tackle to right, and you have the most bodies along the interior. And if he loses that battle at right tackle, what are you doing with him? Mr. Gary, you have got to warn me if you're going to set off the hot take alarm on this podcast. Cody Ford being traded. This is where, <laughs> folks, 
I'm glad he's here because usually I'm the one who drinks too much and says some outrageous shit. He hasn't even had a drink. I mean, I guess at that point, that's where we do want to talk about these key battles that are coming up this offseason. I mean, it's refreshing knowing who your starting offensive linemen are. And even primary swing offensive tackles, having them coming back, it's, it's huge. I can't tell you the last time any of this has happened. I don't, we talked about it. I don't, I, I don't know when I've had this level of comfort, at least, with at least knowing who the players are. But because of the makeup of the roster, that doesn't mean that there's going to be wide-open position battles taking place across the board. Our starters are largely penciled in. Mm. And I firmly believe it's going to be the incumbent's job to lose more than it is for someone who's new to the team to step in and take their job. So when you look at the backups on this team, I mean, last year the Bills kept 10 offensive linemen. Given the way McDermott values roster depth and flexibility, I'd be shocked if he didn't keep at least that many. I mean, we took Chris, we talked about it after the free agency show. The Bills might have to keep five defensive tackles this year. Yeah. For most teams who run a 4-3 defense, that sounds like lunacy, but that's the world we live in right now when you look at the talent that's on the roster. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a competition here on the offensive line for who makes those backup jobs or who makes who obsolete. Now, you're talking about... Cody Ford potentially being moved as a trade piece. That's wild to me, but I can get there. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to some of that. I mean, I'm not necessarily saying I hope to see it or that it's a definitive no. it's going to happen. Of course not. There's definitely a world where certain things play out in a certain way. And, you know, the NFL is very – there's a low supply and a high demand. Not for long. For offensive linemen. All of the- not for long, league. That's what it means. Oh. <laughs> NFL, not for long. If you don't do your job, you can be sent somewhere else. Yeah, and I would not be shocked if, you know, injuries happen. You've mentioned uh, Brandon Brooks many a couple times earlier in the podcast. A team like Philadelphia is already a candidate for you to possibly get draft capital or get a player back. I don't even – you can't even – it's not really even – accurate to predict what you may get back anymore given the circumstances surrounding no one everything. knows it, because you don't even know who's up for grabs which, which is why i honestly don't feel like that we, we can talk about potential trade players trade pieces yeah. accurately anymore we can't do it going into this season because no. nothing's going to be approached in a certain way or in a way that has ever been approached before let me throw this into your let me throw this wrench into everything according to over the cap today on their podcast, overthecap.com. For those of you laymen out there like Chris, who I'm sure has no idea what the hell I'm talking about, it's it's a website that literally just talks about cap issues. It's there to calculate cap and talk about cap-related storylines. The host said, my guess, I'm quoting, my guess is that if you are looking at the cap to drop in 2021, you're talking about a drop anywhere from $40 million to $85 million in 2021 because of the impact of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Even if they have a season, there's going to be a ripple effect to the league's earnings. I mean, we talked about it during the one show about how the, the NFL is the most solvent league in terms of being able to operate. But that doesn't mean they're not going to take a hit, and that doesn't mean that things aren't going to change. An $85 million loss to the salary cap next year? That's going to change the way teams approach things. 
all of a sudden players on cheap contracts or rookie deals, they look a lot more valuable, mm-hmm. don't they? Mm-hmm. So with that said, there are some battles here that I think are important. And to your point, Cody Ford may very well be co- could in that universe of, oh my God, the sky's falling in terms of salary cap. I'm a team that thinks I can go out and win a Super Bowl if I just had a good guard. I'm the Seattle Seahawks, and I say, hey, I need to keep my quarterback upright, and maybe if I can run the ball a little better and keep him on his feet, I can win another Super Bowl before my Hall of Fame quarterback in Russell Wilson retires. Maybe you see that team all of a sudden come out of nowhere with a third-round draft pick for your guy, and you go, well, I've got a Ty Inseki. I've got a Darrell Williams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't say no to a third-round draft pick. The world is different this offseason. And because of it, there's going to be battles everywhere that whether we know it or not, mean something. I think that right tackle one is a big one when it talks, hey, the whole right side of the line. The battles I have it laid out, follow me here. Spencer Long and Ty Inseki against Darrell Williams. His success is a detriment to both of their careers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know when I say this, there's going to be people out there like, Drew, you're high. Long is a highly paid backup. He's our backup center. There's no way McDermott would cut him or trade him. Ty, he played 50% of the starting stats. It's lunacy. You save $10 million for both those players, don't you? Yes. For, well, combined. Not yeah. $10 million each. $10 million in total. Long is a veteran player, seven years of starting experience. And he's been a starter everywhere except for here in Buffalo. Okay? And Seki isn't, like I said, he's the Fred Jackson of offensive linemen. He's an old guy who got brought in, and he's younger than his 34 years show him to be. But he also costs a lot. Mm-hmm. And now you look at Daryl Williams. He's a player both Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have some familiarity with from their time over there in Carolina. He's a former All-Pro, or borderline All-Pro. I think he was, was he second team? Yes, he was second team okay. All-Pro. He's only 27 years old. There's a lot of upside to like there with him. And if he can prove that he's returned to health. And you know, everyone keeps talking, oh, his injuries, and he, then he had a down year. Trent Murphy. Trent Murphy had a pretty solid career as a pass rushing specialist coming out of Washington. He tears his ACL, and the Bills sign him to what at the time was a team friendly deal. Yep. By all accounts, we're keeping him, which, spoiler alert for a future podcast, I called it highly into question. I do not believe this. With that said, you look at a guy who it took him. You know, coming into last year's offseason, he admitted that was the best he'd felt since his knee injury. Mm-hmm. And that he was kind of going through the motions in 2018. That he still wasn't 100% all season long, but he was trying to play through it. Darrell Williams very well was going through the same things in Carolina. Trying to play it not 100%. If this guy comes in here at 27 years old and can show 100%, show that those durability issues, he's found a way with the help of our training staff to get past that. I, I see a situation playing out the same way it did with uh, the cornerback Kevin, uh, Kevin, Kevin Johnson. Johnson. Yeah, here's a guy who, Pro Bowl caliber talent when he's on the field, but he's not healthy. Well, he rehabs his image. He goes out there. He plays a full season. He does well. Mm-hmm. Goes on to see a lucrative next contract. I guarantee you that's what endeared Daryl Williams to signing here in the first place. Mm-hmm. And with that said, I think they're going to give him a lot of opportunities to do that. 
we saw we see every season that players are given every chance to fail. We saw it last year in last training camp with Cody Ford specifically. They kept putting him at right tackle. They did, they hardly gave him any reps at right guard. I think it was, it was just a few measly snaps in a preseason game, maybe even the fourth preseason game or the third, excuse me. I think Daryl Williams is a player that this team is going to key in on. Don't forget that Brandon Bean was a part of the staff that drafted him in the second round. This is he's a player that has a pedigree. I feel like if we had signed him after in the 2018 offseason, I feel like the whole idea of Daryl Williams would be a lot different than it is after a, a a subpar 2019 where he was getting rotated all throughout the offensive line, where he was dealing with a nagging or a nagging knee injury, and you're going into this season where Daryl Williams he he really has nothing. Well, he has his career to lose. So he has everything to lose. He has a ton of pressure going into this season, going against the, a, a player in competition, direct competition with Cody Ford, who you said is the player that, that's returning across the starting five that has the most to lose, mm-hmm. which I, I tend to agree with. But I feel like Deion Dawkins in his situation, I understand you kind of you kind of off the, with, the, with the money, with the extension idea. But well, I, I think this. I think Cody Ford is the most to prove because, mm-hmm. to your point, he needs to endear himself to this coaching staff enough that he can keep his job. Yep. In terms of most to lose, that's interesting because you look back at last year. Last year, Chris, in this podcast, I talked about how Quentin Spain, he was the guy with the most to lose. Mm -hmm. He was on a prove-it deal, a cheap deal. The Titans didn't resign him. Found himself going up against two other NFL veterans for a starting offensive guard job, Long and Feliciano. His deal alone made him expendable. Mm -hmm. He had no familiarity with the coaching staff. And yet he walked in and won that left guard job from day one. So he came into camp with something to prove, but also the most to lose. Cody Ford is the most to prove this year. He's my Quentin Spain. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who, hey, what, what, does he have to, what does he have to prove? He has to prove that he's a starting right tackle in the NFL. Because if he's not, that opens up a whole other conversation. The most to lose at face value, to me... My own hot take coming. Ty Inseki, which feeds into this battle because he's $5.2 million against our cap. Mm-hmm. Okay, He's a 34-year-old tackle, but he's proven that he can play at an adequate level as a bridge starter. I think that if he were to go to another football team to play the right tackle position, he'd do very well. And he could get them through one year, maybe two. So if there's a team out there over the course of the preseason who's having issues, injury, or just ineffectiveness at that position, and Daryl Williams finds a way to outplay Ty Inseki. We're talking about how it's the Wild West in terms of trades. Ty Inseki's a guy who the Bills would love not to have to pay him $5.4 million, mm-hmm. 5.2, to be a backup. Mm-hmm. To ride Pine half of every single game. More if Cody Ford does his job. At that point, he's the, if Cody Ford plays well... Where's the upside for a tie in Seki? I, I tend to agree with your point. I see what you're saying. I feel like if there's any piece along this offensive line that's a most likely going to be moved, whether it's cut or trade, it would be tie in Seki. And next I, I right behind him is Spencer Long. The two of them yep. are pro- Darren Williams' success could put either one of those two men off this roster completely. Yes. Spencer Long's versatility along the interior is very valuable, but. John Feliciano has the same exact versatility, exactly. and he can play the center position 
obviously they choose him over having Spencer Long play that spot because they chose to have Spencer Long going at right guard at times rather than having John Feliciano stay there (laughs) and Long go to center. So it's going to be interesting to see who the odd man out would be because when you're talking about players like Spencer Long, Ty Insecki, I wouldn't say Daryl Williams, but I'll throw John Feliciano and Cody Ford in there. I feel like one of those four players, those are the four players that – I feel like one way, shape, or form, they're going to be moved to a different team before the end of the preseason. I mean, our our GM is opportunistic, and you can only have so many bodies. Mm-hmm. If they keep all four, Chris, mark it down, Seagram's back. If all four of Ty and Secchi, uh, Spencer, Spencer Long. Long, John Feliciano, and Cody Ford, all of them on the roster. Yep. Daryl Williams, all of them on the roster. I'll drink a Seagram's. All right. Week one. I'll put it down. I'll do it with a smile on my face because that, that can you imagine the depth that would afford us? That's that, that that's part of the reason why I opened the show with saying they're one of the best offensive lines in the league because you have three or four guys on your bench that would start probably on twenty other teams. And how crazy is it that that's literally the only position battle taking place in the offensive line? Right. Whereas last off season, it's like oh oh well, my god, let's see, <laughs> let's see. We we literally just rolled the dice. It's like in Yahtzee when you roll the first two hands and you can keep some of the dice and you keep rolling and you get to your final roll. It's like you just scooped all five into the cup and said, ah, fuck it, we're going. <laughs> Yahtzee, come on, show me what you got. <laughs> it's, it's interesting and I think that it, tell, it says a lot about the way Brandon Bean's done his job. Is our GM. That these are, this is the only conversation we can really have about fights for jobs coming up this offseason. Now, as far as dark horses to make the roster and just some other players of note, who are some guys that you're looking at in, out of that depth group that you think might be interesting when training camp rolls around? Well, the guy that I'm most interested in seeing that's kind of the underdog, the undrafted free agent, Trey Adams. Trey Adams, I mean, you're talking about a player who was a first-round prospect prior to an un- untimely injury in 2018, I believe. He was, going, he was pegged as a first-round prospect going into that season. He had all sorts of potential, and then... That injury set him back, and then you have the offseason, and then you have the combine where leaked interview where he said some things. And <laughs> Hang on. Whoa, whoa. He said some things. He said some things. Like what? I mean, you, you, when you're talking about a job interview, I don't think I don't think you're going to bring up your day. I don't think you're going to do that. Oh, yeah, male genitalia during a job interview, that's probably a bad idea. It's probably a red flag for many people. You know what, though? Maybe he's the type of guy who saw it as like a power move. Like, hey, <laughs> I know how I'll impress him. Chris, next time you go for a job interview, bring up genitalia and just see how how quickly it goes south. This, or man's, a, this or man's bold. Yeah. Or a date. <laughs> this man's bold. I like the way he thinks. Let's give him a corner office. Or a date. Or a date. Jesus. <laughs> but Trey, Trey Adams, you're talking about a player who's walking into, I wouldn't really say an overwhelming bottom end of the offensive line room. It's a winning. It's a winnable competition. But whether you're talking, I don't think he's going to stick on a practice squad, to be quite honest. I'm going you to think have, some other team would snipe him? I feel like it. With, with, given the supply and the demand in the NFL, I feel like Trey Adams is a prospect that a team, just like the Bills did after the draft, they'd take a flyer on him. To be quite honest, I would have been comfortable drafting Trey Adams with one of their last three draft picks. And who would have that have been? Their last three draft picks, Isaiah Hodgins, Tyler Bass, and, their, and Dane Jackson. I would have been comfortable picking him at any of those spots after, during the sixth and seventh round. Okay. And they managed to pick him up as an undrafted free agent. You're talking about a dude who's 6'8", what is it, 330? 330 or 325? 314. That's a big dude. He's 6'8", 314. Chris, 6'8", 
I don't know what six eight looks like. I genuinely don't. It's like Shaquille O'Neal playing tackle. He's a big man. I mean, here's the thing. He is on my list of anybody that I'm going to be watching or at least looking for and paying attention to when training camp rolls around. He's on the short list because, mm-hmm. listen, I don't know if it's because I'm just a fan of underdogs or if it's because I understand how important salary cap space mm-hmm. is going to be coming up, especially for a Bills team with so many young players that need, need guys to get paid. Who would you rather have win a job? A Ty Inseki who costs you $5 million or an undrafted free agent, Chris? You can do the math on that. Yeah, give me the uh, undrafted free agent potential. When you look at... So I had to go to the draftnetwork.com just to look up, find some background information on this guy. He was touted as having the all of the upside of a first-round draft pick until those injuries just derailed his entire career, mm-hmm. which left him playing out his senior season, which was a little bit up and down. But again, like we said about Darrell Williams, about Trent Murphy, just because you're back on the field doesn't mean you're 100%. Mm-hmm. If anything, this seems like a guy, Chris, who could benefit from the fact that the Bills have one of the best best training programs and one of the best facilities in that aspect to get your body right, to get trained, to, to get healthy. This is the best place he could have landed. And I'm sure that that had a lot to do with him signing here as an undrafted free agent. When you look at what they had to say about him, the, the good aspects of his game is that he's a mauler when it comes to the running game. And he uses his size to his advantage whenever contact gets made. If he gets his hands mm-hmm. on you, it's over. Mm-hmm. They said that about Cody Ford. That, that was the bill of sale on him. They said that he's a little bit raw on his pass protection skills. And that he's not super athletic in the sense that it'll take him some time to get to the second level to make those blocks. But if you're talking about a reserve player that you could have on the cheap, and because you signed him as an undrafted free agent, you get his rights for four or five seasons before you ever even have to give him, at least three or four, Mm -hmm. before you ever have to give him significant money. If that kid can pan out even a little bit, he's going to give the Bills a ton of salary flexibility. Mm-hmm. That, that's an excellent point because going into this offseason, going into the draft even, you're talking, going specifically the draft, I felt like the Bills, we talk about in depth of how much, how deep they are at that tackle position. They have this veteran, they have that veteran, then there's Cody Ford. I felt like it was a position of need as far as having a developmental tackle. Yes. A guy who's not going to be ready day one. No, he's not going to start for the Bills week one of the 2020 season. God forbid, barring an injury. He's not going to start this season and maybe even 2021 as well. But if he develops into something, if he can be end up having that high-end potential where they end up getting getting more than what they paid for initially with an undrafted free agent. We've seen them turn these undrafted free agents into something. It's not a matter of, oh, well, this undrafted free agent didn't turn into a star. He didn't turn into a Pro Bowl or XX, Y, and Z. Sometimes it's, oh, he's a contributing player on a professional football team, such as Levi Wallace. And, I mean, going to last year, such as Robert Foster, until that just completely derailed as well. Yeah, but even then, he's a core special teamer now. Right. He was one of our best punk gunners. Mm-hmm. He, McDermott's coaching style is he, do, we've talked about this in previous shows, he doesn't like to trot rookies out there. He, he makes them earn their way onto the field, especially guys who are raw, especially guys who need more work. He makes you show him that you deserve to be put out there in a premier 
in a premier spot before he'll give you the opportunity. It's why Matt Milano was stuck fighting Lamar Hubbard. I will Chris. Oh my god, I feel like the guy from Anger Management who gets mad about the basketball game. Yeah, Goose Fraba. Goose Fraba. Uh, okay. <laughs> Anytime I bring up Ramon Hopper, I just remember wasting half a season of Matt Milano. So with that said, this is an interesting kid, and he's probably the only person I have my eye on. I mean, Ryan Bates, he's, he sort of moves the needle for me. He's a, I mean, think about the storyline with Bates. Undrafted free agent gets traded to Buffalo right after the start of training camp. A week after camp starts, we trade for Ryan Bates from the Eagles. Mm-hmm. I think we gave him a seventh-round draft pick. Something like that, yeah. He gets here, and without knowing the playbook, without having gone through OTAs, without knowing anybody, he does enough to make the 53-man roster. And he's active for eight out of 16 games. When you look at his collegiate experience... He's played every single position on the offensive line. That's improbable. How do you do all of those? How bad is your collegiate football team that you get forced out there? They're just That's like, to, to me, that almost smacks of Josh Allen at Wyoming, where they're just like, Josh, everything <laughs> else sucks. You're the only thing we have. Go out there and solve it. <laughs> Ryan Bates was probably his college's Josh Allen on the offensive line. They're like, but the left tackle went down. You, you go out there and play left tackle. And then the next week, they're like, well, the center sucks. We're going to kick you in there and have you snapping balls. He's like, really? <laughs> I, was just, I was just on the blind side. I'm interested to see what another year in this system might yield for him. But between him and Adams, those two young guys, especially with all of the cap space this Bills team is going to need, those are two players that I'm going to be keeping a close eye on as camp plays out. I'm hoping, Chris, that they can find a way into the conversation of making this roster simply because it'll give us the flexibility to start retaining some of that youth that we've kind of built this team around. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it's going to be interesting to see how everything plays out up front with the offensive line, despite the fact that there's five starters back. Right. I I agree with you that Bates and Adams are the two most interesting guys, part of that quote-unquote depth group that we talked about. Evan Bohm doesn't really move a needle for me. I don't. I don't think he's going to no. make the team. Ike Bakker hasn't made the made it off the practice squad the last two years for a reason. I don't think he really has much much potential. I think he he may f- find a role as a backup offensive lineman throughout the NFL, but I don't think it'll be with the Bills. I feel like they have far too much depth along the interior for him to stick on a fifty three man roster here. I believe he he was brought on to what Chiefs last year, right? And then he was cut. And I don't brought know. Back. I don't know. I'd have to look into that. I feel like I feel like that's a conversation I had at one point or another last year. But point being, I feel like I, I agree with you. Bates Bates is interesting because he can play every position as you touched on, but he doesn't really have the length, the ideal length to play tackle in the NFL. But Trey Adams does. He has more than ideal length to play tackle in the NFL, and he has more than enough time to work out the work out the kinks in his pass protection and his footwork. Not as much, almost the inverse of what you're talking about with Cody Ford, where. <laughs> Where yeah. th- this guy needed help, he needs to develop his, his pass protection, he needs to develop his instincts when it comes to playing out in the field. What, and he's being thrown out there to the Wolves for 50% of the snaps throughout the course of a four-quarter game. Whereas Trey Adams, I, I don't think he'll last on the practice squad, but you're t- there's a very likely scenario in which he lands on the Bills practice squad. He can sit there for a whole season and develop and learn and train and work out the kinks in his pass protection and the other uh, facets in this game that he struggles with. Chris? 
ultimately, if we're going to put a bow on this conversation, how good do you feel knowing that an offensive line that, despite all of its flaws, saw us go to the postseason is coming back in its entirety, and it's the only one in our division from the only one in the division that hasn't had some form of turnover. I mean, I'm looking forward to this season. I mean, it, it's going to be odd how training camp is run with what happened with OTAs here and having virtual workouts because, you know, this is the time that players get ready for training camp and spend most of the time with the, with the training staff. So I'm, I'm real interested to see how training camp plays out and how our training staff keeps everyone healthy. For you, Clayton, before we get out of here, you've already laid some hot takes on the line. Bold prediction. Give me one bold prediction as it pertains to the fate of the offensive line for the Buffalo Bills coming out of training camp this year. Can it pertain to the offense as a whole? Sure. Give it to me. I feel like I, I, I'm willing to put a Seagram's on it that Josh Allen could potentially be an MVP candidate this season. Wow. wow. I've, I mean, I've been tied out the Bucks. I've been saying it since last August. I gotta take my shirt off. God. Woo. Good lord. Woo. It's too hot in here, folks. I couldn't keep the shirt on. Wow. Chris, I thought you had your air conditioner running. I do, out there. Woo. And we have a fan going on in the kitchen. My God. But that is still not enough to cool down that hot take. <laughs> that is hot. Sir, I'll shake your hand and I will take that bet. All right. Well, I mean, you're talking about a player. Because you touched on it earlier. There's no excuses for Josh Allen. There's no excuses for this offense, the offensive coordinator. There's no excuses for this team to not produce on that side of the ball. And that's something we've been waiting for with this football team since Josh Allen walked in the door at One Bills Drive. We've been waiting for that season. We've been waiting for 2020 where they put the pieces around him. And you talk about it. They're two players deep at running back. They're three players deep at wide receiver. They have a tight end who has plenty of potential. And they're bringing back five stars along the offensive line where you could potentially look at an improvement at right tackle and right guard going into this season. There's no excuse for Josh Allen to not produce. And if you have a positive outlook on Josh Allen and his potential of what he could be, like I do, I feel like you tend to agree with me more than you would disagree. The hilarious thing is I used to be... I was talking to someone on Twitter. Or no, on Facebook. I posted our podcast in a Facebook group, and the guy goes, said something snarky about Josh Allen. And I laughed about it. And he goes, no, for real, bro, you're a hater. I listen to your podcast. You're a Josh Allen hater. And I said, well, listen, man, not for nothing. I think used to be a Josh Allen hater is probably the more accurate way to describe this. And in long form, I talked about about six paragraphs explaining how I landed at this place with... My, in my complicated relationship, where I went from nude in Jamaica, screaming drunk, from the top floor of a resort, with a drink in each hand, talking about pants being irrelevant, because Josh Allen was our quarterback, <laughs> to this place where I'm confident. The kid, for no, if nothing else, I know that he's going to give us everything he has. <laughs> and that's what you can ask for, right? I mean... I, I tend to fall into that same kind of category of being almost as pissed off as you as you've ever been because that I don't know I got drunk and fell off our podium after a press conference. Yeah, people still have a there's a GIF image of it going around now. The GIF image. Oh, yeah. people keep sending it to me. I'd love to have that. 
Yeah, I'll get it to you. Chris will hook you up. I mean, I was pissed off in a cooler trying to watch the draft at a gas station when they drafted Josh Allen. I missed the Tremaine Evans pick. (laughs) I was not happy because you had both Josh Rosen and Josh Allen on the board. And I tended to be a Josh Rosen fan. And when I heard Josh Allen, I was pretty upset. And similar to you, I've come a long way since then to go as far as to say going into his third season, he could potentially compete for an MVP MVP award, being the most valuable player in the league. And he definitely has all the physical tools to do it. He definitely has all the personnel tools around him to do it. It's just a matter of execution at this point, I believe. It's on him. And I, but I think, once again, our offensive problems are not all our offensive line's fault. With that said, this offensive line is going to have to find a way to improve on its flaws from 2019. Now that you've brought everyone back, it's time to get better. You have to take that next step, especially in pass pro. It's going to be interesting to see how these battles, how the trade scenarios, how all of this stuff works itself out. I'm fired up for it. I know you are. Chris Chris is texting. He texting you the gif. You just got it, bro. Oh, Jesus Christ. Stop disseminating this nonsense. This is awesome. Oh, yeah. I drunkenly storm off the podium, and you see it violently shift. I fell so hard. I didn't even get a chance to put my hands down because I had a beer in each hand. Yeah, you had to save the beers. I saved the beers and sacrificed my like the left side of my body. I, I'm, I'm assuming I had like a bruised lung. Like it hurt. Did you spill any though? Absolutely not. I'm a professional. Exactly. That's <laughs> and, the point. And with that said, folks, we have reached the end of the show. Thank you so much for sticking this out with us, Chris. What's our running time? Do you think? I have no idea. Hour forty-five ish. <laughs> Changes are coming, folks. It's going to be great. First, all the way around, Clayton, thank you so much for coming in with us tonight. This was fun. And I love the fact that you don't need a laptop in front of you to keep pace with this conversation. Well, I mean, if you if you saw the laptop I work with on a daily basis, you, you'd, you'd be glad I didn't bring it. <laughs> you'd be glad I didn't bring it. But thank you guys for having me on. It, it was definitely a lot of it fun. It speaks to how much you know about the subject matter that you could just sit here. And spitball with us. The only person who I've seen do that, that we've had here in studio, was Nate Geary. He's the only one who can stroll in here and just talk sports with us without having to have a computer. Well, that's because he's been doing it for years, but he, I mean, he's on the radio. Now, where can everybody find the Cold Front Report on Twitter and then you on Twitter? Uh, you can follow the Cold Front Report on Twitter at C-O-L-D-F-R-O-N-T-R-E-R-E-P-O-R-T. At Cold Front Report. You can follow me on Twitter as well, at C-F-R Clayton. Uh, I haven't been really active on there lately, but it, as things ramp up with football, I'll, I'll be a little more active as time goes on. Clayton, pleasure. Thanks for coming in. Guys, make sure you're following them on Twitter. And also, if you're on Facebook, the Buffalo Bills Pride Group on Facebook, run by Cold Front Report's Fred Kilmartin, they have, a, again, mo- that you go there, you're going to find a lot of the Cold Front Report's content. It's but there's a lot of great conversation that goes on there. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of it. I'm a member. It's a good time. I urge you to go out there. If you're on Facebook, go look up Buffalo Bills Pride. Go give it a follow. Guys, it's the end of the show. Next week, next week, like the prodigal son, Cover One's Eric Turner returns to the podcast for the first time in years as we continue our Bills training camp series. We're also going to have conversation about the potential expansion for the practice squad, what that means to roster construction, what that means to the salary cap, and how teams approach what what very much looks like a reduction in cap space. Chris, we have packed shows coming. 
We're ramping up this offseason. Ah, I'm excited. How fired up are you? I'm pretty fired up to be right. a part of the Blue Wire family. So It's going to be <laughs> phenomenal, guys. Thank you in advance for sticking with us. Well, we got to get the hell out of here. I've taken up enough of your time. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That's Clayton from the Cold Front Report. And this has been the Rockball Report. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.